You're listening to a podcast from the Swedish House of Finance, Sweden's National Research Center for Financial Economics. This podcast is for everyone with a curiosity for finance and an interest in academic research. To learn more about the Swedish House of Finance, visit houseoffinance.se. Hello, everyone. I am Paolo Sudini, professor at the Stockholm School of Economics. And I'm Anastasia Girchina, an assistant professor at the Stockholm School of Economics. Today, we will talk about financial advice and wealth management. And this will be the first of ideally a series of podcasts on this topic, uh, a topic which is actually very close to my heart and to the research that I've been doing in the last 20 years. And this is the research that I'm planning to be doing in the next 20 years. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. So why a podcast on financial advice and wealth management, Anastasia? Because people make financial mistakes. In fact, there is a lot of evidence, at least in the academic literature, that many people don't fare well when it comes to managing their finances. And there are really many examples of this. Just to name a few, many people don't save enough for retirement. Those who save might keep all their savings in the bank account or the other extreme invest in just a couple of stocks rather than holding well-diversified portfolios. And financial literacy is the ability to process economic information, to make informed decisions about financial planning and the use of financial products and services. Uh, there is an academic literature actually that tries to measure the level of financial literacy in the population and it has been pioneered by Anna Maria Lussardi and Olivia Mitchell. They have designed three questions that are trying to capture the minimum knowledge necessary to make financial decisions. So the first question is about the law of compounding or the fact that you have interest on interest. The second is about inflation and the third is about diversification. And today we're going to go through these three concepts and explain why they're so important to take financial decisions. And let us start with the concept of compounding, or what Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. And and to illustrate it, let me give you an example. Let us say that you invest $100 at 2% a year when you're 30 years old. How much do you think you would have in the account by retirement if you leave your money to grow for 35 years? Well, first of all, you need to take into account that you earn interest every year. This means that every year for 35 years, you earn 2% on the initial $100. So it's $2 every year for 35 years, $70. That's right. Now, however, not only do you earn returns on the initial $100, but also on all the past returns you've earned. So in other words, you earn interest and interest, which is an essence of compounding. And now once you take this into account, it turns out that over 35 years, you could in fact double your wealth for just 2% of yearly return. And your example shows how important it is to start saving early for retirement. But the law of compounding is not only important for savings. It's also important to understand the impact of fees on financial products. So for example, take uh, uh, an equity mutual fund uh, and imagine that this equity mutual fund earns 
on average 7% per year, which I think is more than reasonable. And say that you pay a 2% fee on, uh, on the mutual fund, which is, by the way, the average fee that is paid on equity mutual funds in Europe. Now, if you wait for 35 years, believe it or not, half of your final capital is going to go into fees. If the fee would be instead 0.5%, only 15%, one five, would actually go to the bank and the, at the end of your investment horizon, which shows you how what we feel are tiny differences in returns or interest or fees might have actually huge impact in the long run. And this is all because of the law of compounding. And you know what? Despite of how powerful and how important the concept of compounding is, only few people know about it and only few people understand it. And Sweden is not an exception, unfortunately. And just let me give you a number. Only 35% of Swedes understand that they earn interest on interest, which, by the way, is one of the lowest scores compared to other countries. Luckily, however, there is no bad news without the good news. So when it comes to the other fundamental concept that you, Paolo, were mentioning earlier, inflation, Swedes do much better. And here, around 60% of the population in Sweden get this question right. Yes, and this actually brings us to a broader issue, which is that when you save, you shouldn't save per se. You should always save for something. You should always think what you're saving for. And your investment should be structured functionally to the purpose of your saving. So in this sense, at the minimum, your investment should be protected against inflation. In other words, it is important that it doesn't lose purchasing power. The initial capital you put in should sustain at least the same level of consumption or standard of living that you had at the beginning when you started to save. And let me illustrate the power of inflation by using the early example. Remember, you are investing $100 at 2% a year. In a world without inflation, after 35 years, you would have doubled your wealth. In a world with inflation, however, say when the prices grow at 2% a year, so at the same rate as your savings, by making exactly the same investment as before, you would end up earning nothing. And this shows you how important it is that the interest that you earn on your investment is higher than the inflation rate that in your example was 2%. So how can you do that? Well, you can access other parts of financial markets. In particular, you should invest in bonds, in stocks, in mutual funds. Or as we say in academic lingo, you should participate in financial markets. And in this way, over the long run, the return you can expect is actually going to be higher than the inflation rate. So maybe we could explain how should we invest in financial markets or how we should participate in financial markets. Yes, and in fact, this brings us to the third financial literacy question. Um, let me read it to you. Do you think that the following statement is true or false? By in a single company stock, usually provides a safer return than a stock mutual fund? And the answer is wrong. It doesn't. The reason is that it goes against the basic rule of diversification. In other words, that when you invest, you should spread your risk across many stocks, many industry, 
and even many countries so that you're not hit by specific bad shock that are localized into some pockets of the economy or only relevant for few stocks. Could you maybe make an example of such risks? Yeah, so let's think about investing both in airline and oil stocks. So airline stocks and oil stocks are actually very sensitive to the fluctuation of oil prices. Uh, If oil price goes up, it's bad news for the airline industry, but it's actually good news for the oil industry. And then the opposite when the oil price goes down. So if you invest in both airline stocks and oil stocks, you're going to have a portfolio that is much more stable over time than investing only in one of the two sectors. But, you know, then other shocks realize in the economy. Uh, For example, the COVID pandemics right now, both airline stocks and oil stocks are completely battered in the current environment. So what is important, you realize immediately, is that you should have invested in other industries as well. So, for example, the technology stocks, Zoom, um, Microsoft, and so forth. In fact, I would say that one should invest not only in other industries, but also in other countries. And ideally, to achieve full diversification, one should invest in all stocks traded in the world. And actually, this is quite easy to do nowadays, as there are index funds that track all the stocks traded in the world very closely. And even more than that, these funds are now available for very low fees. And for example, in Sweden, these fees can be as low as 0.1%. And I'm not talking about the 2% average fee that, Paul, you mentioned earlier, and not about 1% fee, but about 0.1% fee. So I think we can agree that uh, um, building a diversified portfolio is going to minimize your risk and not affect your return that much. But, you know, some people might think that actually having a portfolio of a few well-picked winning stocks give you more risk, but also give you an enormous uh, return. And this is actually a fallacy. Uh, Picking stocks, picking good stocks is actually extremely difficult. Um, The reason is that Picking good stocks means buying undervalued stocks. And remember, whenever you buy something, there is someone else who's going to sell it to you. There are always two parts of the trade. Whenever you trade in financial market, it's extremely important to remember that it's a zero-sum game. When you buy, someone else sells. And if you think something in undervalue, it's likely the other person thinks the opposite, that that something is overvalued. One of the two parties has to be right and one of the two parties is going to be the winner. Who's going to be the winner when it comes to individual investors, when it comes to households, to be on one side of the trade? When it comes to me and you, I always, when when I make a trade in financial markets, I always think about who's going to be on the other side. There are sovereign wealth funds, hedge funds, and extremely rich people with scores of very talented and knowledgeable advisors that are going to be on the other side of the trade. So to summarize, what we have talked right now is really the most basic and the most fundamental concepts that one should know in order to save effectively. And unfortunately, as the surveys show in the vast majority of countries, including Sweden, not even half of the population understand these concepts right and is able to answer all three questions correctly. And this is a big problem. 
uh, and it's a big problem because unfortunately if you just follow your gut instincts when it comes to financial decisions you're probably going to be wrong and there are at least three reasons why this is true first of all the consequences of financial decisions realize over a very long period of time just think about diversification there has been always period where one country was better than another, then one industry was better than another over sometimes very long periods of time. So it's very difficult to feel that having a diversified portfolio is the right choice. The second reason is that contrary to other products and markets that we encounter in our daily life, there is little scope for learning by doing. So a person who enters financial market for the first time and then after a few months, unfortunately experience a crash, might think, oh, this was really a bad decision and might sell all its stocks. And instead it should be exactly the opposite. That's when stocks are gonna be cheap and that's actually where this person should rebalance and buy more. And the third reason why it's difficult to just follow your gut instincts is that it's very difficult in financial market and people tend to forget, to check, to identify counterfactuals. So you meet a lot of people that buy a few stocks and perhaps these few stocks actually give, give them uh, a decent return over time and they're very content about it. But they forgot to check that if they had invested in, in the world index, maybe they would have done much better. And definitely they would have taken less risk, which they're completely unaware of. And you know, just to make things even more complicated, there are just so many different financial products out there. And just to give you an idea, right now we have around 45,000 stocks that are listed in the world. And do you know how many equity mutual funds are out there? There are almost as many. And this means that there is a fund manager for virtually every single stock in the world. So it's difficult to decide. It is difficult to choose. It's very tricky to use financial markets to achieve our goal. But the good news is that the academic literature has identified several fundamental principles on how to approach financial decisions in a sound way. And so what we will do in this podcast is to uncover these principles and to explain them in the next episodes. That's right. Thank you for listening. For our listeners who'd like to hear more from us, you can find more podcasts and seminar videos on houseoffinance.se. Don't forget to rate our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Do you have a question for Anastasia or Paolo? Or would you like to suggest future topics or guests to invite to our show? We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at houseoffinance.se.